Hello and welcome. My name is Joanna Junak and this is GFN News on GFN.tv. In today's program, Nancy Lucas, the executive coordinator of the Coalition of Asia-Pacific Harm Reduction Advocates, will share her thoughts on smoking and vaping in New Zealand today. Will Godfrey of Filter will describe two significant recent on the efficacy of vapes. We ask experts from the UK, New Zealand and India to share their thoughts on the issue of youth vaping in their countries. We introduce our new series GFN Voices, capturing the views and opinions of people who attended the Global Forum on Nicotine in Warsaw this June. And after the news, Brent Stafford of RecWatch interviews Lindsay Stroud, director of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance's Consumer Center in the US. For the last of GFN news series of country spotlights, we are traveling to New Zealand. Since November 2020, vaping products have been regulated under the Smoke-Free Environments and Regulated Products Act 1990. Joining us today is Nancy Lucas, Executive Coordinator of the Coalition of Asia-Pacific Harm Reduction Advocates, CAFRA. Thank you, Nancy, for joining us. Can you tell us what the situation is with vaping in New Zealand at the moment? Okay, well, in 2020, um, the regulations for the Smoke-Free Environments Act passed, and it included the legislation around vaping products and safer nicotine products. So e-liquid, e-cigarettes, and heated tobacco products are legal and regulated in New Zealand. Sadly, snus and nicotine pouches didn't make that regulation, which is a, didn't make a lot of us happy, but they just, they, I guess they didn't understand. So that did not make the regulation. Now, the way it works with the regulation for vaping is there are there's a two-tier system. General retailers, which is a petrol gas station, supermarket, um, corner store, they can sell vaping products, but they can only sell the flavors of tobacco, mint, and menthol. We have specialist vape retailers, and they can sell everything. They can sell all the flavors, all the different equipment. You know, a, a person who smokes can go in there and they will get help and guidance and set up with the equipment and just carry on. Now, since that's been put into place, like I said, that got royal assent in 2020 and the regulations themselves have been rolled out over the past year and a half, 18 months. So now the regulations are fully in force. In the last year, the st statistics, I can speak, the statistics have shown that over 100,000 Kiwis, New Zealanders, have actually made the switch from smoking to vaping. So that's the status of vaping in New Zealand with regulations. Um, smoking, obviously, we've had 100,000 people switch, so the rate is going down. If things keep up the way they are going now, we have a goal here in New Zealand of 5% or less of the population using combustible tobacco. If it carries on the way it has been, we will meet that goal in 2025. Is the government of New Zealand supporting people to have better access to safer nicotine products? Well, you know, it, they've done the regulations. Um, they have... The one thing that's missing is information, is public information. And there was a public service program that was supposed to be rolled out and then COVID happened and the money got, re, I guess, reallocated to something else. It was the um, Vape to Quit program and it was supposed to be a public service announcement program and a public information campaign. And right now 
That's the number one thing that's missing. That's what we need. Um, we have been asking about it. We have been trying to push for it because there's so much misinformation out there and so much, so many people that just don't understand. Now, I do want to touch on something. One of the things that I didn't mention previously that I'm going to mention now is they are going to amend the Smoke-Free Environments Act because there was a discussion about tobacco specifically and the need to reduce the number of tobacco outlets that were there now that we had the vaping regulations and people had an option to go to vape. So by the end of this year, a couple of things are going to change. Nothing relating to vape, but all to tobacco. Um, the first one is they want to limit the amount of tobacco retailers that are out there in New Zealand. The second one is the um, they want to implement a smoke-free generation, which basically means that people born in 2009 and later will never able be able to legally purchase tobacco products. It doesn't include vape. It's tobacco products. And then the third thing, which is, again, contentious, is the implementation of all combustible cigarettes in New Zealand as of, I believe, 2027 will only be very low nicotine cigarettes. So those are some of the things that they're doing on the tobacco side with regards to helping, you know, cut that down. But like I said, in the vaping side, what we need, we need education, we need public education. And we also need public health and the Ministry of Health to step up to the plate and knock back a lot of the anti-THR people that are coming in now and talking about things. You know, it's, it's the same story that's been everywhere. Um, Australia is in the middle of a nightmare right now with their, you know, their ban, which is actually medicalization. And I guess that public health in Australia is really lobbying hard public health here in New Zealand to, to kind of coordinate the two systems, but they're so diametrically opposed. And the government here so far is holding line with what they want to do because they understand that safer nicotine products is what's going to help them get to that smoke-free 2025 goal, but they need to get out there and they need to really push back on some of the lies and some of the propaganda and educate the public so people understand what this is and why they've done it. Looking at the regulations in place and the information that is available to people, do you think people will want to switch and use safer nicotine products? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. You're always in any country, in any group, you're always going to have a small group of people that like to smoke and will always smoke and do not want to, to, to stop smoking. Um, that has already been, I guess, calculated in, in, in the regulations and in the plans going forward. So that's the 5%. You know, that's why the goal is 5% or less, because you're never going to get everybody to switch. I mean, some people really enjoy smoking. You know, some people enjoy smoking cigars too. And Vaping doesn't work for everybody, you know, and there are some of us that wonder, you know, maybe if we had snus and maybe if we had nicotine pouches, we'd be able to get it down to 3%, you know, but we have to work with what we have. So I would say on the main, if people want us to stop, if people who smoke want to switch, it's there for them, it's available, it's accessible, and they can do it, but you have to want to do it in order to be able to do it. Thank you, Nancy, for sharing your thoughts. Now let's turn to Will to hear about two significant recent studies. Hi, Will. Hi, Joanna. Yes, both of these studies, as Filter has reported, support the efficacy of vaping and refute claims of harms. 
THR people would note that there's no shortage of evidence that vapes are a life-saving alternative to cigarettes, but it matters to amplify such findings in the face of the hostility. The first of them, an in vitro study conducted by scientists affiliated with the Center of Excellence for the Acceleration of Harm Reduction, showed that vape aerosols do not produce the cellular effects caused by cigarette smoke that lead to vascular damage and the onset of heart diseases. It also found that aerosols from heated tobacco products produce substantially fewer adverse cell effects compared to cigarettes. That's great to hear when heart disease is a major factor in smoking-related deaths. And the research was conducted as part of the center's wider project, replicating 10 studies of THR products that were originally conducted by the tobacco industry. Such research, as we know, tends to be dismissed by tobacco control as conflicted. It's therefore highly useful in the information war to have the results independently verified. The findings are a strong rebuke, wrote Helen Redmond in Filter, to repeated claims that using e-cigarettes or heated tobacco products is just as dangerous as smoking. And what's the other study you wanted to highlight? Well, this one addresses the spectre of nicotine dependence that's often raised by vaping opponents. Never mind that THR proponents would dispute the contention that an activity without significant harms should be characterized as addiction. Funded by the US National Institute on Drug Abuse and the FDA's Center for Tobacco Products, the research looked at over 500 participants who wanted to reduce their smoking, giving them vapes of varying nicotine strengths or a placebo. All the participants reduced their smoking, but the group with the highest nicotine level vapes at 36 milligrams per milliliter reduced their smoking the most. That won't surprise us, but what's more, and whether or not we think this matters, testing showed that those people weren't using more nicotine than they had been previously. Dual use of e-cigarettes to reduce cigarette smoking is not associated with an increase in total nicotine dependence or exposure, researcher Jessica Yingst told Filters' Alex Norsha. It's some welcome undermining of that nicotine-dependence scaremongering. Thank you, Will. Young people's use of vaping products is attracting a lot of attention around the world. In the last episode, Dr. Colin Mendelssohn shared his thoughts with us on the situation in Australia. In today's episode, we ask other experts from elsewhere on vaping among young people. First, John Summers, consumer advocate from the UK, shared his thoughts. I think the first thing we, we need to clear up here, vaping already is regulated. The, certainly in Europe and in the US, both have legislation that restricts the sale of nicotine containing products to persons over the 18, yeah, over the age of 18 years. It also prohibits proxy purchase. So nobody should purchase a nicotine product and give it to somebody who is under the age of 18. So if we have a problem with under 18s using this, we have two issues. One, the existing laws are not being policed. Two, parents aren't parenting. Now I'm, I'm a parent myself and <clears throat> you know, if if my son was up to something, we we fairly quickly found out most of it. But the the the, the existing legislation does restrict and you know, in, in theory, prevent 
you've used. The issue is always, as always, policing it and enforcing that. Um, if there are retailers that are breaking the law, then they should be punished. Um, bringing in more restrictions doesn't fix that problem. If they're not being enforced, then you're still not going to fix the issue. And people will always somehow obtain these these things. If you look, if you go back and look at smoking, children have historically always smoked. I can remember when I was at school, my son has told me when he was at school, and he's now 19, that there were a, a large number of children smoking. There were very few vaping. Um, and those that did, it wasn't for a very long time. And that's borne out by the, the statistics. There's an awful lot of very panicked moralizing going on. Um, that you know, somebody sees somebody try something and that somehow in their heads equates to permanently using. And the data doesn't support that theory. Um, those children that are experimenting with vaping either were previous smokers or weren't and fairly quickly give it up. They're not not becoming an entrenched nicotine user. Um, so do I think you know do I do I think it needs to be regulated? It already is. Do I think it's a problem? Well no frankly. Um, if we look at caffeine use we don't particularly worry about that. It's a dependence, or it can be dependence for me. Um, it's not an addiction, um, because it's without the serious physical and mental harms. Um, and the same thing goes for nicotine. In fact, it, it, in a lot of respects, nicotine is actually safer than caffeine. Um, and it has uses, it has beneficial properties for some people. Um, in terms of neuro, you know, in, improving attention and mood in people who are neurodiverse, um, you know, there's a whole there's a whole load of things. So, whether or not somebody chooses to use a substance, really isn't the issue. The issue is what, how is it delivered and is it delivered safely? Now, we already you know, restrict the sales, but we need to be rational. If we're talking about someone that, if they didn't access a safer product, was going to smoke, which is already happening, we haven't removed the dangerous product from the market. That's still on sale. Um, if we're talking about diverting somebody away from that, that's a net benefit. That's a good thing. I'd actually argue that proxy purchase for persons under the age of 18 should be allowed if you've got if you've got a child who is smoking at the moment it is illegal to divert them onto a safer product and that's nonsensical given that in most countries um certainly again within europe and the us a 12 year old child can purchase nicotine replacement therapy over the counter, no questions asked, no prescription required, no adult supervision needed. And there's no concern about that nicotine. 
No one's going to follow them up. Nobody's going to check on them. So we're, we're, we're kind of panicking about something that is quite clearly, and, and those, the, the, you know, those age restrictions were set a long time ago. So we're, we're creating a panic over something that we've already legislated for in two different respects. And one of them has a far, far lower age limit. There's, there's, there's some quite odd thinking going on. Um, of course, that's being stimulated by the prohibitionist and, and absolutist um, you know, thought patterns. Um, but it, it, overall, if if we're getting people away from the harmful thing, which is combusted tobacco, then overall that is a net benefit to society and to the individuals. We also asked Nancy Lucas from CAFRA whether vaping among young people is a problem in New Zealand. Let's hear her answer. It depends on who you talk to. Um, again, going back to those, the detra I call them the detractors, um, the people that are very anti-nicotine and anti-THR. They, um, and this is also why the government has to come out with this information campaign to educate people because there are a lot of lies out there. Now, when we talk about youth vaping in New Zealand, we kind of have to, all right, there's some people, you know, that believe there's a vaping epidemic and it's a teen global vaping epidemic and it's everywhere. But when you look at New Zealand and you look at the st statistics, I don't have a problem with that word today. And you look at the statistics, okay, um, what's happening is the people that are very anti- vape or anti-THR, you know, they do the usual. They conflate ever use with daily use. But the statistics in New Zealand, which the public, you know, public health officials and the Ministry of Health do not have a problem with is that, now let's see, in 2021, 1.1% of 15 to 17 year olds smoke, okay? And 5.8% of 15 to 17 year olds vape. Now that sounds like, wow, that's a lot. However, the thing that a lot of people aren't taking into consideration is that Maori students and our indigenous people are the ones that have the highest smoking rates in the country. The Maori students led the way with a massive 40% decrease in daily smoking rates since 2019, and only 3.4% of those people smoked in 2021. So when we look at the stats as a big picture, we say, no, we don't have a youth vaping epidemic. What's happening? And Ben Yudan explained this very well in his presentation at the e-cigarette summit is that the people that were smoking are now vaping. It's not that people are picking, you know, young people are picking it up and using it regularly and getting addicted. No, we do not have that problem in New Zealand. If you were to look at some of the articles that are put out by the detractors in the media, you would think, oh yeah, but no, when you look at the actual statistics, no, we do not have a youth vaping epidemic in New Zealand. Last but not least, Samrat Chaudhry, a leading consumer advocate from India, tells us what's happening in India among young people. So we live in an internet age. You know, you cannot hide facts, uh, no matter how much propaganda you try to spin up, right? So people are being able to go on the internet, see what, uh, what is what, see that vaping, for example, is much less harmful than smoking, no matter what the government says. So uh, young people, at least now, in my view, we don't have real data here, but I can see what's happening on the streets. Are if those who are going to experiment with nicotine today are experimenting with vaping, not with smoking. And I think that's a welcome sign. Uh, there are a lot of red flags and signals being put out. Okay, you know, this is the new epidemic. Uh, 
But uh, you know, we know studies upon studies are showing that there is common liability. These same kids would be experimenting with cigarettes, which are far more addictive and deadly. So I would rather have uh, teams experiment with something less harmful, which is not to say that I would want them to experiment with nicotine, but if they are going to, and if they have the propensity to experiment, then they would uh, at least do something less harmful. So I see, at least in urban India, that uh, there is uh, an inclination among the youth to experiment, uh, you know, if they're experimenting with nicotine, then with vaping rather than smoking, irrespective of the ban. Also keep in mind that the ban is not effective in that sense. What it has done is push the whole market underground. So while people have had a regulated market, which, have, which was responsible, which, which had checks and balances, now we don't have that. And that is a cause of worry to an extent. In June, after being online for two years due to the pandemic, we met again in person at the Global Forum on Nicotine in Warsaw. We captured the views and opinions of people who attended the conference in our new series, GFN Voices. Here is the first one. The strap line for this year's event is tobacco harm reduction here for good. Yeah. Do you think it is here for good? I believe so. I think I think it's very hard. I don't see how you move back from this point. Like you heard from uh, the guy Jagath who talked about India. So in India, those products are banned, but he lives in India and he, I don't know if I can say that actually, maybe don't screw this in India. But um, for him, he lives in India and he still uses e-cigarettes. So he still finds a way to get them. So even though they're banned, he can still get access, still use it and it allows him to cut down on cigarettes. So I think we've crossed the Rubicon. You can't go back. They are here for good. I think the biggest challenge is really getting them as many people's hands as possible. So it's here, it's not going away, but how do we get the momentum to make the most of it probably is the next big challenge on the book. I, I sincerely hope so. I mean, there, there's certainly a growing evidence and evidence base, and, uh, and uh, it's been like uh, I've lived in Japan for some time. There's two step forward, I'm back, another two step forward, and then I'm back again, but it's certainly moving in the right direction. It's here for good for the 100 million users of tobacco arm reduction products worldwide. It is here for good. For policymakers, it's not here for good yet. I think they're still on the fence, and it's a shame. It's a great shame that they're on the fence because people are dying needlessly. Why are they on the fence? I think they are misinformed, and there's a big propaganda machine on the other side making it very difficult for policymakers to distinguish what is science and what is just plain bad policy. So this type of conference is good because it tends to summarize exactly what science is important for evidence-based policy making. But what we're getting unfortunately in, in most governments is almost a, a biased seeking of scaremongering evidence to make bad policy. Yes, I mean unequivocally, yes. Because actually, once, once the rabbit is out of the hat, it never goes back in. You can't un, you can't un what the people do, they, they invent things. It's like suddenly saying now, we're, we're gonna stop cars because they're bad. You can prohibit certain areas, you might make them better. And 
One thing I don't think anybody ever mentions is that everything, they pretend that there'll be no progress. It's as if this product now, that maybe has slight imperfections, and I'm not suggesting at all that there aren't any, that nothing will ever change. Of course, everything gets better. That's how it works. And it won't go away because you can't put it back in the box. It exists. They could try and they could prohibit it, but then there'll be a black market and it will be profound. And then they'll change the mind. And now we go over to Brent Stafford and his guest, Lindsay Stroud, who is the director of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance's Consumer Center in the US. In today's interview, Lindsay talks about what has happened in the US vaping market following interventions from the US Food and Drug Administration and the US Centers for Disease Control. Over to you, Brent. Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and welcome to another edition of RegWatch on GFN.TV here in Warsaw, Poland, for the Global Forum on Nicotine, GFN 22, and with a favorite guest of ours, Lindsay Stroud. How's it going? Oh, it's going. I made it here, and my bags came. Uh, unfortunately, other people didn't get that, but we're good. <laughs> good. That is great. Um, so you're with the Taxpayers Protection Alliance and a host of other Places. Yes, yes. I'm director of the Consumer Center at TPA, Taxpayers Protection Alliance. It's a nonpartisan think tank based out of Washington, D.C., and I handle harm reduction issues with them um, and other consumer issues. And then I'm also a board member with the American Vapor Manufacturers Association, and I am currently a visiting fellow with the Independent Women's Forum. So not a lot of time. <laughs> wow. Well, that's amazing. Uh, you've certainly been a advocate for vaping. Why? Why? Oh, like, okay, um, back in 2016, when I was still at the Heartland Institute, I was smoking and they had me, hey, work on our, you know, vaping portfolio. And I was a former staffer, so it was really intriguing to see all of these small businesses having to get a civics lesson, pretty much, in government um, because they were getting, you know, attacked by state, federal, local lawmakers, but then you had to bring in the courts to it. and. It was kind of amazing to see this consumer product and these people just trying to help people quit smoking um, and how much the government was attacking. So I kind of just fell in love with it and fell in love with the people. And then I really have a disdain for lawmakers. So, you know, educating them on stuff they don't know is kind of a fun perk of mine. Now, that group of small business owners and people who work in that industry, where do they stand now today in the U.S.? Oh, it's it's uncertain territories you're like talking about the, the vape shops yeah um right now um with the, the pre-market tobacco applications are kind of everything's kind of in limbo um they were due back in september 2020 and then they all these um small e-liquid manufacturers had about a year that they could still be on the market without fda authorization um and then the fda blanketly denied um, almost a million uh, flavored e-liquid products. And so they all moved to synthetic nicotine. Well, Congress earlier this year passed a law allowing the FDA to regulate synthetic nicotine as a tobacco product. So we had to do PMTAs 2.0 is what I call it. And um, they have till July right now. So it's in a limbo period. And you still also have about a hundred, you have hundreds of thousands of applications that are still pending too with the FDA. So they didn't get, they didn't get, a, they didn't get authorization, but they also didn't get denied. So it is a regulatory limbo. Now come July 15th, I think that's the date, isn't it? Yeah. For the, for the FDA to actually have to decide on something now, because it's not a court case and do, I don't want to be quoted on this. I don't think that they're so stuck to that deadline as they were with the September 2020 deadline, because that was tied to 
um, the the anti you know well the Oregon organizations is what I call them um, you know so you know going after the FDA for not doing their timetable right with PMTA applications. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't think a lot of people always recognize the fact that it was you know the diehard anti-vaping groups. Yeah. led by the American yeah. Pediatric Society yes. that forced the FDA into this timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the FDA actually in 2017, um, I mean, the FDA doesn't really have the capacity. If you look at, you know, um, just the way that their funding works, uh, and they actually had to hire a bunch of people before 2020, but they were kind of recognizing harm reduction back in back in 2017 and that's where they were you know kind of gave lower priority to those products and that it was going to be 2022 when the actual application was and so the deadline got pushed by two years now we're looking at you know tens of billions of dollars overall in the u.s marketplace how much of that is going to move to the black market do you think uh, at least 60% if it hasn't already because um, you're already seeing it in other states where they have black markets but uh, there's also just the counterfeit products that you also see at like C stores and stuff that there's not really a lot of like oversight in there um, that I always go back to like Eon Smoke, um, you know, and you had one of the companies that was actually working with customs to try to get these products off the market, but uh, it's going to be all black market. You can't close that door. And what's going to happen to all the vapors? Not to mention the smokers that, you know, are going to lose the potential of, of vaping, but we're talking about former smokers in the millions that now vape that are, are they going to have their devices and their juices yanked um, away from them? Well, I think they're still going to be able to have their devices. I just don't, I, I'm, I worry for the small business people that built, you know, this, this vape shop. Um, and especially if they're playing by the rules, you know, they're subjected to fines if they're selling non FDA authorized products. So the, uh, I mean, I know there's been some clever ways that people are kind of going around with it, like whether it's, you know, just selling liquids only and then maybe having nicotine on the side. Um, but thankfully, this industry does have a lot of, a lot of the small business owners are so dedicated to the fact of helping people quit smoking that they're not going to, they will, you know, stand to be arrested, which they, nobody's going to get arrested, but they will stand to have a lot of fines just to keep helping people quit smoking. And it's really unfortunate that you know, it's kind of going back to the prohibition days and speakeasies in a sense that you're going to end up having um, and probably some weird shops. Um, I mean, I've talked to somebody in one state that they talked about, you know, switching everything, saying it was CBD and, you know, to kind of do a workaround. I'm not, I'm not endorsing that people. OK, <laughs> you know, so do not take that as like free legal advice or anything. Um, but it is really unfortunate that that's where we're at at this point. Um, and it really also, if you think about it, it kind of really harms the whole issue of tobacco harm reduction um, when you have to make it so black market, so secretive, you know, for these people to get these products that are safer than combustible cigarettes, which are available at every C store. So it's, it's kind of sad. What's been happening to the smoking rate in the U.S. since there's been such a crackdown on these alternative nicotine devices? Well, right now, the smoking rate's still going down, thank God. Um, now, we did see last year that, like, there was an increase in cigarette sales, and so I'm still waiting for the, uh, uh, I do a lot of work on the CDC data, the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance Survey, and the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, and so I'm waiting for 2021 to come out, especially to look at those states. Um, now, you did see with San Francisco and, like, youth vaping, when they cracked down on flavors back in, in 2018, you did see an increase in both vaping, but also you saw an increase in combustible cigarette use among high school kids in San Francisco um, from 2017 and 2019. And there is that real possibility um, that you kind of see it. And 
We're also, if you think about right now, we are in, in, you know, it's a bear market officially. We're probably heading for a recession. And so I think that's going to also impact what you're going to see on smoking rates. Because you saw it in 2011 when smoking rates went back up for some reason. Is the U.S. a mess? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty safe to say that one. It's it, uh, The regulatory agencies with how e-cigarettes are regulated is a mess. Um, it, the FDA doesn't have the proper tools to be able to even promote harm, tobacco harm reduction. It also seems that they're so busy trying to save the world. I mean, we're sitting here, they want to ban menthol cigarettes and uh, flavored cigars now, and like kids aren't even using those. I mean, you have lowest you know, level of, sm of smoking rates among youth, and you do need to address youth use of e-cigarette products, but you're sitting here worrying about menthol cigarettes. So I don't really know exactly what the FDA and our public health agencies um, are trying to do. It's definitely not offer adult options that are not quit or die or pharmaceuticals. What's the mentality, do you think, that's driving these efforts to eradicate nicotine use? Well, they don't want to eradicate cigarettes. I mean, nobody's talking about getting rid of cigarettes. Um, I think that there's a lot of money to be made in treating people with smoking-related illnesses and also and the states, I think the United States probably is one of the, you know, when you think about globally, yeah, you have some countries that do have like monopolies and they have state-owned tobacco, um, you know, companies. But I think the United States is like really, you know, depends on tobacco uh, and combustible cigarettes, whether it's, you know, settlement payments from the 1998 Master Settlement Agreement or tobacco taxes. And there's a lot of money in that. So just I'm reading here a Wall Street Journal story from just the last day or so. Biden administration to pursue rule requiring less nicotine in U.S. cigarettes. Yeah, so but they can't go down to zero. That, that's in the Tobacco Control Act. You can't completely eliminate nicotine. But yeah, they want to do less nicotine, and that is a they had they've only approved one of those cigarettes, and they don't even know what the market is. I think it's only going to go out into like three markets at first, so you don't even know really what the efficacy is of it. Yeah, the FDA denied you know millions of vapor products that had been used by people for ten at least ten years. Um, so, I, it's I think honestly it's just fodder. I think it's like you know vaping. Oh, we got to do something about vaping. Um, oh, we got to do something about cigarettes now. And I think Biden's kind of throwing that into his policy, not necessarily even addressing smoking. It's just part of the what is it moon shoot or that's moonshot moonshot yeah so um he's anything to get him away from inflation and gas prices so <laughs> in a way isn't this just tinkering around the edges yes well yeah the fda it's really unfortunate right now wait, wait, it's june 2022 we've had six applications approved for e-cigarette products um out of millions and also you know, e-cigarettes came to the United States in 2007. So it's like, you know, you've had 15 years of people using these products and it's still not good enough for the FDA. Consumers actually using them, consumers quitting smoking, um, using these products and it's really sad. Now, I, I notice you use the term consumers mm -hmm. and that is used, not a lot, but it's used. Are, why is it that maybe the advocates for vaping uh, and the, um, the enemies of vaping seem to both, in some cases, ignore the consumer aspect. Because they hate, well, they hate people who smoke. Um, but even on, even on the advocacy side, though. Yeah, it, oh yes, I noticed that when I first started. I was a smoker when I first started it. So, and you got the disdain and you were looking at these people like, 
but you used to smoke. I mean, why are you coming after me? And I'm on the part with, you know, like, I think it's great that uh, tobacco companies are actually being forced to change. I, um, you do see that in the advocacy world, actually, that, you know, we're not big tobacco and that there's, you know, we can't work with big tobacco. But I always looked at it like, you know, you forced big tobacco to change your pro you know, to change their product portfolios. Um, and, you know, just looking at the states, you know, 2007 was first e-cigarettes introduced, and it wasn't until 2011 when a big tobacco, big tobacco company, um, got into e-cigarettes when Lorillard purchased Bloom, and then the next year it was Altria and you know Reynolds that had done their own e-cigarette products, and it's pretty amazing. I mean, when you think about like. Oh, big tobacco, these bogeymen, and like, wow, that these con these consumers change their product. But it would be anything in any other industry. If your consumers are going one way, you're going to do that, and you see it in other industries. You saw it with like soda companies. You know, they're offering a lot of reduced, you know, lower sugary beverages. Um, even with electronic vehicle manufacturers, you know, bringing consumers want safer products. It's kind of amazing with this space that. The people who are, you know, the, the companies that are responsible for the harms of smoking aren't able to bring up a new product. Um, that there's this, and it would be like telling, you know, Volkswagen, you can't make an electric vehicle, you can only, only use a gas engine. Is there no room in the heart of an anti-vapor for redemption for big tobacco? No, not according to them, um, which is unfortunate because every other, every other, you know, everybody's been able to kind of skate away and i think big i think tobacco did you know they paid their they paid their time and they're still paying and if, especially in the states when you look at the master settlement agreement you know um and yeah there is no redemption for them unfortunately and it's really sad because you start seeing that argument being applied to other consumer industries and unfortunately you're never going to have another thing like the master settlement agreement for any of the ailments that other goods might have you know other companies might have caused but do consumers of vaping products, in general, by and large, understand that they're a consumer group? No. I think some of them, yeah, but I don't think they understand how big and powerful they are and how, how powerful their quit smoking story is. Um, I, I prior, you know, I was a former staffer and I, I have done, you know, this year alone, a lot of like state testimony and everything. And there's nothing more powerful than telling your lawmaker, you know, I'm 55 years old. I smoked for 20 years and I tried everything. And the only thing that was able for me to quit smoking was, you know, raspberry flavored e-liquid at three milligram nicotine. Um, and this is the device I'm using. I mean, most of them don't know it. And it's really sad because you, I saw it this year with lawmakers. I mean, they're still going out with popcorn lung. The attorney general sent the letter to the FDA on June 11th, um, urging FDA to pretty much deny all the synthetic nicotine products, the synth or the synthetic PMTAs. And he, they pointed to popcorn lung. Oh, they brought up popcorn lung. Yeah, 2022, they still bring up popcorn lung. <laughs> Which is kind of sad that we, that our organizations, that we haven't been able to change that narrative yet, especially when you look at the, um, the anti-groups, so, you know, they all have the buzzwords. And, the, you know, I, I say, I, if, yeah, if you follow LM Stroud 89 at Twitter, you can see me live tweeting some of these hearings and it really just gets really boring when they start coming up because it's like, well, the guy sat there and said the same thing five minutes prior and they have all their buzzwords, you know, lifetime addiction and nicotine, uh, you, um, 
the big tobaccos playbook. I can't think of all of them off my head, but there's like about 10 of them that they all, you're going to hear it anytime that one of these people come on, they're going to drop those words down. Nicotine harms developing brains. Oh yeah, nicotine harm. And that came from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and our new, you know, FDA or uh, director, CTP director. So let me ask you this. I mean, you know, in all seriousness, I mean, is public health being malicious? Yeah. Well, I don't think being malicious. I think that there's a lot of this disdain from the tobacco companies and that this is some idea that for, like, tobacco is going to hook a new generation, which it really isn't. It's a consumer-driven product disruption. Um, and you don't really, I mean, it's kind of like... Um, Kind of like what the i with the iPad, the iPod did for you know the Walkman and the way that we do music and everything. Um, it completely changed the way that people can get nicotine and also thinking of the way that people you know the quitter die. It's you know they know you can use nicotine in a safe and less harmful manner. You don't have to just quit smoking and you know be happy and free and everything. So I think that's what it is. I think they're mostly afraid and that they don't have control over it. I think because it's not on the FDA's part of their pharmaceutical part. I think that's what it is. Because if you look at, if you look at like even the WHO isn't against harm reduction. It's, it, it, it's in tobacco harm reduction. They're not for consumer tobacco harm reduction. They want it to be done in like a medical, you know, you go to a doctor and you're prescribed it, which I don't agree with because it negates tobacco harm reduction and cigarettes aren't, you know, handed out that way. You can go to a C store and go buy cigarettes. You should be able to have less harmful alternatives. You know, when I quit smoking, well, when I looked at vaping at first, evaluated it in 2015, to consider quitting smoking, two packs a day, the key thing that I looked at was the availability and sustainability. I literally stood in a, in a vape store and looked at all these hundreds of different flavors and I went, okay, this is gonna be around. I can trust that this will be here. Yeah. And in Canada, like stores are closed. Yeah, I know. We wrote, we wrote on your guys's consultation, and yeah, and you guys always look at United States. I really hate the Eve Ally. Um, you know, the shot heard around the world, and oh, we have to ban everything now. Um, yeah, that's really that is sad. That that's what I looked at vaping too. Um, thankfully, I do know people, so if I have to go into the black market, you know, they can help me mix flavors. And but it's really, and I think that's might what I have to be for people, unfortunately, um, in some states. But we have states that have banned flavored e-cigs. They can still get them. Um, it's just I wouldn't really trust them. I mean, these are not uh, issues that a, an upright, you know, and respectable consumer should have to deal with. No. Right? No. And it's weird because, you know, I can get my brand of cigarettes anywhere, at any corner, in any city, at any time. Around the, the globe. Around the globe. Yeah, I smoke Rothmans. So oh, I mean, pretty yeah. much I can get them anywhere. Yep. So if I'm going to have a choose between the hassle that comes with vaping, you know, the stigmatization of vaping is almost greater than smoking. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I sat, I was in an airport uh, smoking lounge. They have them over here in Europe, people. Um, and it was kind of amazing because we're vaping and you kind of got the looks and everything. Um, and Europe's really weird too, at least I've noticed um, the young people, I see a lot more young people smoking versus actually seeing them vaping. And I know my one of my colleagues, Martin Cullip, is in um, the UK. And so and he's talked about that because of the way that they've been able to market 
you know, e-cigarettes as a, as a cessation tool um, that you actually see, you know, it's old people vape, not young people. So, but I guess now disposables have entered the, I just learned today that disposables have entered the UK market. So they're expecting, you know, a wave of youth use shortly, of course. <laughs> we saw it in the States, so. In the States, a lot of that, the disposables, when they hit the market, they played a, a, a big role because it was post-Juul, so Juul yeah. had its effect, and then the disposables came in. That has led to a lot of state action. Oh, and, yeah. And you've been, you know, embroiled in a couple of them. There was Connecticut. Connecticut, and then Colorado. Colorado. Colorado was the big one. That was the one that, like, everyone kind of... Um, well, Connecticut was going on for years. So, I mean, this is, like, I think the fourth time that this, and they had actually gutted it out that it didn't include menthol cigarettes because it did start... It started as a full flavor ban. So, you know, menthol cigarettes, cigars, e-cigarettes. And then this... I think I got gutted out to... It was, like flavor ban, but age-restricted stores, so, you know, and that's the one thing with these groups of the United States, they don't compromise. It's like all or nothing, so, um, and Colorado, actually, that was a full flavor, flavor ban, and it actually did start, like, they had, when it first got out of one of its committees, it did get amended, so age-restricted stores um, would be okay, and then, you know, the groups came in, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of lobbying on that, and a lot of 12 hour long hearings and you know those poor bill sponsors you that was i don't know why they even thought about pulling it up um but yeah the youth vaping even though youth vaping has gone down in colorado is really interesting that you brought up because they had just published their um they do a state survey healthy kids colorado survey and i had when i was testifying you know they do it every other year so they had 2019 and then 2021 was going to come out this summer and it just came out yesterday and so that was you know you need to wait to see these these state numbers because we've already seen national numbers where youth vaping has declined but the groups aren't talking about that you know they're burying it or if they the way if you see like when they bring up the numbers it's like oh i'm going to use a percent of a percent and make it seem like it's everybody I and mean, it's really not um it's unfortunate, but yeah, the new th and, and in regards to Colorado, actually, youth vaping is down. Um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, the, they do, uh, you know, the, what I did see the numbers, and I didn't have them in front of me, but I think it was about two percentage cha percent change um, increase. The reasons why they vape, flavoring went up as a reason, but it's still not the number one reason. So, so vaping had some wins, though. Oh, you vaping? Yeah, it's gone down. I think it with the youth vaping epidemic of uh, 2019, and that's. Yeah, if you look at the youth survey, so 2015 is like when they start really looking at it. 2017, you actually see a decrease in most of the states and at the national level, at least with the CDC survey. And then 2019, yeah, you saw a huge increase in everything, but now it's it's gone back down to 2015 levels, and if not, like 2017 levels where it was lower. I think it was a fad. The cool kids are doing it. I'm gonna do it. Look at this new device. I think there was a couple devices out there that um, probably could have reined in a little bit sooner than what they did, but you know, uh, they did do the appropriate actions on some of the stuff that they did with limiting their you know varieties and options out there when they realized that there was a problem. That's all for today. Tune in next time here on GFN TV or on our new podcast for more tobacco harm reduction updates and brands interview with Frederico Fernandez, Executive Director at Somos Innovacion and CEO at We Are Innovation. Thanks for watching or listening. See you next time.